Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to the Junkyard Pod. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, alongside Jackson Flickinger, and we are once again joined by a brand new guest, Abby of the Just a Girl from Cleveland podcast. Welcome to the show, Abby. Hi, guys. How's it going? Uh, We're doing good. We're ready here to answer some mailbag questions all about the Cavs. I asked people on Twitter to send over some questions. It was a bit of a slow start getting them rolling, but we ended up getting some good ones to go over today. And uh, I think we'll just get started right away with it. I'm going to send this straight to Abby to get us going. Abby, in a potential and very possible playoff series between the Cavs and Knicks, what worries you the most about the matchup? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you asked me a few months ago, I feel like this matchup was not going to be a concern for me at all. Um, But in the last, even the last few weeks on the run they've been going on, um, I've started to kind of think about it a little bit more. And it's not the type of fear you have when you play like the Bucks, when you know we got to stop Giannis, that's very intimidating. Or the 76ers, it's like, and you got to stop Embiid, that's very intimidating. This is more of a um, balanced lineup in a way. Um, and I think what concerns me most about them is the physicality they've been playing with. And I think we have a hard time with teams that play super physical. I know um, like the Raptors aren't even that good this year, but we, up until recently, we did just beat them, but we were 0-3 against them prior to that. And I think it's because they play such a physical form of basketball against us. Um, And I think the Knicks have been playing kind of a similar form to that uh, more recently. And I just wonder what that will look like for us in, in a playoff series against them when you have to, you know, go out there potentially up to seven games uh, and try to play, you know, physically against them as well. Yeah, I agree. I think toughness is something that this Cavs team has seemingly lacked, despite the fact that they are a very tough team to beat and they have some very physically imposing guys it does seem like they've had trouble when, you know, the Raptors or the Knicks really bring it to them. Uh, Jackson, how, how do you feel about a potential series versus the Knicks? Um, yeah, kind of echoing um, what what was just said. You know, I don't – I'm not super – like the Cavs should be favored in a series against the Knicks. I think it would be disappointing if the Cavs did lose. The Cavs have a better team. Their matchups this year have been kind of wonky – one of the losses was the turnover was the not the turnover game, the um, travel game where there was, I believe like 11 travels called. So it's like, it's hard to, it was one of those games where it felt really hard to like make any conclusions from. And then the other game was the Julius Randall's just bombing mm-hmm. threes at a clip that was just not really what, what his game is and what, you know, so and it was Donovan Mitchell's first game back from the groin injury and he was looking hobbled. So it's like, yes, the Cavs have lost two games to the Knicks and they weren't good losses. Like they they didn't play well in those games, but it just felt like it wasn't really the Knicks were giving them problems more. So just, it was just a weird game. Just some weird games. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I am like, any team you play in the playoffs is going to be good. This is a good Eastern conference. Uh, I think the top, the top three and four teams really get the focus, but there are good teams. And if you are the four seed, you're going to be playing a team that has a really good record. The Knicks are playing great right now. So I'm, I would be concerned, but I would be surprised if the Cavs lost, like it's, it's still a series that the Cavs do match up well against and would be favored to win. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, to your point about how weird those two games were, I'm pretty sure the Mitchell's first game back, that was also the game where the referees in the two-minute report admitted that they missed a call on the play that would have potentially won the game. So it's a bit of a weird two games there. Uh, I'm really not too concerned about the Knicks themselves. As Abby said, I'm more worried about Embiid, Giannis, Tatum. I'm not so much worried about Julius Randle, although he did light us up in that one game. But to the Knicks' credit, they have been playing really good basketball lately. They're 11-4 and four over their last 15 games, which would be the second-best record in the NBA. They are second in offensive rating during that stretch, third in net rating, and they're fifth overall in the season for offensive rating. And they're a, I would have considered them a team that hangs their hat on defense. They're actually better in the ratings on offense. They're 13th in defensive rating this season. But I would still consider them a very tough team to score on, especially just because of the physicality they play with. Uh, looking at the matchup, I would say the Cavs definitely should be favored. They're the more talented team by far, in my opinion. But the Knicks are a very well-coached team. As I said, they're a defensive-minded team, and that could be hell for the Cavs in a series where they're a little limited on offense, as we talked about in the last episode. And I don't think it's because of J.B. Bickerstaff. It's mainly just because they have limited offensive weapons. But when you look at that in a series where you're playing the same team four to seven times in a row, teams are going to figure out what you like to do on offense. And finding counters for that is going to become increasingly difficult. So my biggest concern in any playoff series, whether it's the Knicks or whoever we place or whoever we play, is just finding enough offensive juice to stay in the games. And I think the Cavs are going to have to rely a lot on their defense to make it equally as difficult for teams to score on them as it might be for the Cavs to score for themselves. One of the things that I think is really interesting about the Knicks is just looking at cleaning the glass real quick. They have their, they have the fourth ranked offense, which is really good, you know, but they, but their like profile is not really that good. They're 27th in uh, percent at the um, rim and they're, and they're 21st at three point from the three point line. So it's like, where are they getting this? And they're really getting it from, they don't turn the ball over. They're fifth in the league and turnover. So like really good there and they get a their second in offensive rebound percentage and they're doing a bunch of damage in transition. So it's like the Cavs have last year, the Cavs struggled at times against teams that were really good uh, offensive rebounders this year. They've done a lot better with that, but that's one of those areas that, you know, a game could get away from you quickly when you're getting beat up on the glass and you're, you know, they're getting out in transition. So it's, you know, I think the like, I think the Cavs are, would be a very tough matchup for the Knicks. If I was, but, you know, they could lose a couple games in some ugly, in, in an ugly style, you know, if they can't contain the glass. Yeah, I agree. I think the Knicks with the way they play, uh, part of the reason those first two games against them were so weird is because they are just a team that is going to make it messy and you're going to have weird games against them. Yeah. Uh, moving ahead in our questions here, Abby, can you pick a random former role player to add to the current team? There is one caveat, though. You can't pick Larry Nance Jr. <laughs> because Jackson has some unspoken feelings about him as a role player. But oh, man. Uh, go ahead. That's funny. <laughs> Um, this one, I actually feel very strongly about Kyle Korver would be a perfect fit on this team right yeah. now as just like a shooting threat that we need. I think like in his best year with the Cavs, which was 2016, I was looking it up earlier. He averaged, um, 49% from three. And I'm like, Oh God, I would kill to have someone like that <laughs> on this team right now that could shoot threes like that. Um, I, I just, I think he would be the perfect fit. Yeah. He, he's the dream fit for sure. We mentioned him a little bit on yesterday's podcast too, just because not only is he an efficient shooter, but he can move off the ball too. And that's something that the Cavs are just really, really missing right yeah. now. Jackson, who would you pick? Okay. I wasn't comparing Sam Merrill to Kyle Korver, just for the record. <laughs> I feel like that's been lost somewhere. I was just saying Kyle Korver, if you just stick him in the corner, he's not as effective as he is when he's moving off ball. And that, that was my whole point. So just, <laughs> now that 24 hours have passed, I just want to clarify that. Um, yeah, Kyle Korver is the correct answer. Like any answer that's not Kyle Korver is like wrong. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I'm going to 
like try to think of somebody different. I think Richard Jefferson would be a really good fit here just because I think he kind of fits the style of the way like JB would like to play like 2016 Richard Jefferson, a guy who can kind of do everything, you know, is a big body. I think he'd fit really well with Allen and Mobley. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's somebody I would like, but really it's like anyone who could shoot like Delonte Mm -hmm. West would be a great fit here, you know? So yeah, it's, but Kyle, but yeah, obviously Kyle Korver. Yeah, Kyle has to be the obvious choice. Uh, Richard Jefferson's an interesting one. I actually think uh, if Richard Jefferson would have played in today's NBA, I feel confident he would have developed into kind of a 3 and D player because he started to expand his range when he was in Cleveland. So that would have been a very interesting fit alongside, you know, the rest of this Cavs core. I knew people were going to say Kyle Korver, so I tried to think of something very different here. So this might take you guys off guard, but... I think Spencer Hawes on the Cavs would actually look pretty good. In his short time in Cleveland, he was shooting a career high 45% from the three-point line, making just under two threes a game. And this is back in 2014 when seven-footers weren't exactly shooting threes at a high rate. His his rate when he was in Cleveland would have been the third best on this current team. So if you put Spencer Hawes as the backup big on this roster, I think that actually would be kind of money. But <laughs> yeah, Kyle Korver, it has to be him, right? I mean, but if you wanted a dream fit, but if you wanted a big that could shoot, why not just Channing Fry? And yeah, well, I thought of that too. That's Channing a good one. Fry, RJ, any of them, but I just I had to throw a curveball here. I almost said Alonzo G. I thought about mm-hmm. CJ Miles. Like I was, I was deep in the Cavs. CJ, CJ Miles would be so perfect for this team. So that's oh yeah, perfect. That's a good win. answer. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a better answer than. all right so talking about what the Cavs can actually do to add talent besides these fantasy scenarios where we add Kyle Korver what can Kobe Altman do to add talent in the offseason or potentially you know next trade deadline whoever wants to go first here um I'll go first yeah I think this is where it gets hard because it's it's really easy to go out and um, get a variety of players when you're kind of being that third team in a trade. Like that's how we got Jared Allen. I think it's easier to make moves when you're not uh, a competitive team that other people look at as a threat. They're more willing to kind of give you maybe a little bit more than uh, what that person is worth in a trade or whatnot. Um, so it does get a lot harder now when other teams might be like, Hey, we don't want to make this trade for the cat, like with the Cavs. why would we want to give them an asset um, that could potentially take them to the next level and make them, you know, more of a contender. Um, so I am a little bit interested to see what could happen in free agency uh, because of that and how hard I think it will be to make the right trade. I think we could be more of a free agent destination for guys who are, you know, looking, to potentially be, you know, a wing on a team that is looking to contend and they want to go out there and get a wing. Uh, So I almost want to look more of that route now rather than just trades, which I think is what people mostly focus on. I I think it's hard to make the right trade. Like a lot of people were upset at the deadline that we didn't make a move, but it's hard to find the right move in those moments that isn't going to cost you long-term. And sometimes you can make a rash decision that ends up hurting you uh, in the long run. We might've done that last year with Karis. Some people, you know, might feel like, hey, why did we make that move at that point? Is that something we needed to do in that moment? Uh, so I think you have to be careful uh, with making those trades uh, at the trade deadline uh, and might want to just give it some time and wait for the actual right move to come to you. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking about the Karis trade today because Karis is just always on my mind these days. <laughs> and I, I, to your point about rash decisions, I don't think the Cavs would have ever made that trade had they somehow known they were going to get Donovan Mitchell a few months later. I think they would have just held on to their assets there. Um, And in terms of people talking their frustrations about this deadline, I saw someone today messing with the trade machine where they had a trade Jared Allen for Tim Hardaway Jr. And I'm like, guys, let's just relax. All right. We, we need shooting, but not to that extent where we're going to ditch Jared Allen for someone like Tim Hardaway. Um, I do agree. I think, the Cavs options when it comes to trading for talent right now is going to be way more limited than it was before because they are a contender. And I've made this point a couple of times before that it's so obvious what they need that unless uh, the team you're trading with is confident that they're getting a good asset in return, they're not just going to hand over 
the exact player that the Cavs need to become champions. Like they're going to be a little more conservative with the deals that they make there. I would say the biggest thing the Cavs can do to get better is kind of out of Kobe's control at this point, which is just internal growth. I think you're looking at the players that are already on the team and hoping that they can make, you know, take strides forward throughout the summer and, and into the next season. Uh, Jackson, before I flip this over to you, I'm going to throw out a list of upcoming free agents who the Cavs might have no chance of signing, but I want to hear your take on them because I was taking a look at it. The Cavs probably won't have much cap space. Uh, most likely this will be a mid-level exception deal. Um, and I know people will make the joke that who's going to sign with Cleveland, but as Abby said, this is really like a dream destination for any wing that wants to play a big role for uh, you know a, a mid-level exception contract. They'll join a championship contender and they'll get to play a lot of minutes. So here's the list of players. Terrence Ross, Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles, Justin Holiday, and Grant Williams, who will be a restricted free agent. So I don't know how realistic that is, but Jackson, did any of those names light you up or are you just thinking no? Uh, I mean not really uh didn't really get me too excited one of the things that i will say um is that the hardest thing to do is to get the core and the Cavs mm. got the core you know that's why this team has been so good this year that's why they have the third best net rating um and we also know what they need it's very obvious they need shooters and while it's like it was always tough when the Cavs didn't when the Cavs had Alan Mobley and, you know, Garland, you're like, this team needs a three. Like we all knew they needed a three, but they didn't need like just a guy who could play the three. They needed a superstar level guy at the three and, you know, Mitchell, they got a superstar level guy and he fits perfectly with his core. So you just need guys who can shoot. And it's like the Cavs were able to get Karis LeVert and Karis LeVert made a whole lot of sense when they got him because they needed guys who could dribble guys who could, play make because they just had Darius Garland. Now they don't need that. Like Karis LeVert, what he does best isn't what the Cavs need with Mitchell and Garland out there. So it's, it's tough. Like, but I think there's a lot of avenues to improve. I don't think you need, you don't need like a great shooter. You don't need like a guy who's like a 42% shooter. You don't need a great three. You just need somebody who's, an upgrade and fits with this team just a little bit better. And I think there are guys out there who could do that. So it, you know, making a move at the deadline was difficult just because the Cavs didn't have a whole lot of flexibility on, in who they could move out with the contracts and stuff. But I think in the off season, it will be a lot easier to make a move. Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, moving forward here, talking about how the Cavs can improve and specifically internal growth. Do you think Evan Mobley needs to improve his three his three point shot or his handle first? What's more important? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say what's more important because I feel like him adding a better three point shot would add more versatility to his game. Uh, fixing and adding his handle would kind of improve upon what he is already doing in his game. Um, I feel like though, once Evan Mobley does have a great three point shot, he's going to be like the most impossible player to depend defend in this league. Like, I just don't even know like how teams will find an answer for him at that point. So I really think that will take him to the next level, but it's hard to say if that's more important because I think um, improving upon his handle will be such an important part of the game that he currently has. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, uh, especially like the three point shot is all, is the thing that is the most recognizable about his game because it's like, man, if he could shoot to three, he could space the floor and then his fit with Allen gets a lot better. So I think that's like, that's the answer, but also I kind of, I think Mobley's best version of himself is actually just a better like dribbler you know, someone who can get to, because he looks like, because like what he does well is he finishes at the rim really well. He's in the 86th percentile in rim finishing for a big, which is, which is outstanding. It's just, he's not able to get to the rim a lot. And a lot of that is because his handle's just not quite there, especially, you know, like he struggles against guys who are stronger than him and bigger than him. 
and he's quicker than a lot of those guys, but he doesn't have the handle to get past them. So I think if he just tightened that up, he could, he could just do what he does best better. So that may be the answer for him personally, but as a fit for this team, it, it just makes a lot more sense because Jared Allen's not going to become a better shooter anytime soon. And they already need shooting elsewhere. So it's like on this team, the three pointer, but maybe overall the handle. I think it would also help him improve upon like turning over the ball less in those situations mm-hmm. if his handles a little better. Cause I feel like that's where a lot of his turnovers stem from is that he's not really comfortable in those situations sometimes. Uh, so I think that would fix uh, another issue he's been having. Definitely. Yeah. That was a problem he had, especially early in the season where it felt like he yeah. just kept trying to dribble through people and he doesn't have the strength to get there and he didn't have the handle to hold on to it afterward. And he just mm-hmm. kept losing it in the lane. I do think uh, in terms of the Cavs kind of struggles offensively, the three-point shot for Mobley would just be such an easy way to open up the floor, but the handle would open up the floor as well because one of the issues they have right now is that Garland and Mitchell are asked to create basically all of the offense. Levert at times has been able to help, but you're not really closing games with Levert that often. If you have Mobley on the floor and he's capable of catching it either on the wing or even at the elbow and create a shot for himself, whether it's getting to the rim like he does best, that helps a lot in terms of taking pressure off of Garland and Mitchell. But of course, I mean, if he starts nailing threes, I don't know how teams are going to defend him. It's just, it's over at that point. So I don't know what's more important, but I would say the handle is more realistic. Uh, He's taken some steps forward as a three-point shooter, especially as of late. He has been firing away. It's not exactly efficient yet, but he's not afraid to shoot it, which Mm -hmm. is uh, another important thing. And yeah, I I think if you give him either one of these things, a three-point shot or an improved handle, he's just going to be a terrifying player to play against because he's already one of the best defenders in the world. And if he improves on offense, I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah, and one thing to throw in quickly because I always have to talk about the charge because that's, you know, that's what I do. G League Um, specialist right here. But like... (laughs) Isaiah Mobley, he needs a three-point shot because he doesn't have that elite skill to be a contributor elsewhere. So it's like for him to like really stick and be like in the rotation long-term, it's like, yeah, he needs to get that shot just a little better so he has something to fall back on. Evan Mobley is so elite at a lot of things that it's like he can be a really good player without a three-point shot. And I think that sometimes gets lost in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make that clear that like, he doesn't need a shot to be great, but if he had a shot, he'd be even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that makes Mobley so fascinating is that it feels like there's so many different paths he could go down in terms of developing into a superstar. As we said, he's already has the defense. That's like he's basically a defensive superstar already. But if you look at the ball handling and even the passing, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's a future where he could be playing a Sabonis type role where he is a hub on offense and you're running a lot of stuff through him and he's creating for others and and able to dribble the ball up the court a little bit Uh, in terms of shooting. Even if he doesn't expand to the three point line, he has flashed a little bit of a mid range. People love to compare him to Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan. If he's able to score from the mid range, you have a path that way. And if he expands all the way to the three point line, he's Dirk Nowinski with Kevin Garnett's defense. It's just, It's unbelievable to have this guy on our team and I don't want to put too many expectations on him. I know I just made like the greatest comparisons ever, but it's important to have best expectations. But at the same time, I'm just so excited about Evan Mobley being in Cleveland. Yeah. One thing, one thing you mentioned there, that's really interesting. It's almost like if there was a third option, just adding strength, I think that may be the right Mm -hmm. answer too. Cause I went back and looked cause if you look at his numbers, he he's not a good mid-range shooter, but you, but when you watch him, you're like, man, this guy, like if he gets up, you know, it like the shot looks good. He has great touch. So you just think he's a better mid-range shooter than he actually is. And a lot of the issues with his mid-range shot is if he gets like bumped a little bit, he just doesn't have the strength to kind of keep his uh, keep his balance when he gets bumped like that. So you see against a game like uh, the Denver game, he was able to really get going from there because he was going up against smaller guys and he wasn't getting pushed like that. Whereas against Toronto, he's getting pushed around by stronger uh, competition out there and he's just getting bumped off his spots a little bit. So I think if he just gets stronger, it's like that mid-range shot becomes a real tool. And 
not to compare him to Kevin Durant, but that's something that Kevin Durant really struggled with. Like in like his his mid range shot was always good. It was just if I'm getting bumped around in the mid range, that like it doesn't matter how good my shot my shot is if I'm off balance. So you know it's something that not that he is going to be the next Kevin Durant. Just mm-hmm. like you know even Kevin Durant struggled like this. So he has a similar frame. It's expected that he's going to struggle too. Yeah, even with his strength too, I think about from the beginning of the season to even midway through the season, how much more, and it wasn't even like he got like physically more stronger. It was like the confidence he was using with his strength. I feel like there was already an improvement from, you know, year one to year two, and then beginning of the season to middle that I just feel like as that continues, it's going to help his game so much because I already feel like I saw such a difference in like the confidence he was going up uh, with the ball, you know, just a couple months into the season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've I've joked around that Evan Mobley is the strongest skinny person on the planet yeah. because there are times where he just throws his body weight at people and yeah. completely takes them off guard by how aggressive he is. He might not have the muscle on him, although I do right. think he has added some muscle. He looks mm-hmm. a lot stronger to me in terms of like the definition, but there's certainly times where he gets taken off guard by opponents, but I mean, man, he's so aggressive going to the rim sometimes where it's like, I don't think people expect the assertiveness that he has had this season. And that's really made a big difference for him. Yeah. And like in comparison, like last year, even when uh, Allen went out, he was just getting bullied in the post. It's like, he's not getting bullied in the post at all this year. And especially not like recently, it's just in those areas that you can't like bully people where you're more off balance and stuff, you need more strength. And that's where, and that's where you really see it most. So he's improved so much. The only times he still gets bullied is if you're playing Giannis or Embiid, it's like, that's when you Mm -hmm. see that clear difference still where you're like, Oh yeah, those guys are a different (laughs) level of player. And he's still, you know, year two Evan Mobley. (laughs) Yeah. That's like the top 1%, you know? So it's like, no one can defend them. So you can't even blame them because it's like every team is looking for an answer for that. But in a couple of years. Yeah. Just wait. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving forward here, who do you want to initiate the offense in the final two minutes? Is it Mitchell, Garland? Do you want them to get the bigs more involved? How do you think the Cavs should be doing this? Because there has been concern about their execution late in games. Uh, Abby, do you want to start here? Yeah. I feel like. For most people, the obvious answer would be like your main star player, your all-star Donovan Mitchell should be doing it. But for some reason, like I want Darius to be initiating the offense in the final two minutes. Like I just have a confidence in him um, in end game situations. I do think there's been moments this season where Donovan has struggled towards the end of games and closing things out. Um, And for for some reason, Darius just provides me that confidence uh, in those moments that I don't always get from Donovan. Now, like, I don't think it's like, you know, a complete like landslide where I would say, oh, it has to be Darius. Um, But there's just, there's something pulling me in that direction. Mm -hmm. I I feel that. I think it was kind of like when LeBron and Kyrie were here, you know, Kyrie is probably the one taking the shot, but you want LeBron to be the one initiating because he is more willing to defer to other players. It's the same thing with Garland. I think if Mitchell has the ball with a minute left in the game, you know he's shooting it. It doesn't really matter what's going on. Garland's yeah. a little more likely to get people involved. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually lean um Donovan on this one just because Donovan, one of the problems that we see with Darius late in games, and we kind of saw this in the Memphis game, and that was without Donovan, so it's almost hard to like really judge that. But like he's best shooting off the dribble and it's just so hard when people know that that's what you want to go to. Whereas like Donovan, somebody who can really blow by guys a lot easier than Darius can. So I feel like there's a lot more ways he can beat people, but it's, it's not a situation where it's like, I just want Donovan to clear out every time just kind of, I'd like them to play within the flow of the game, you know, and that's, and that's where they've really, when they've struggled late in games, I feel like they're not playing within the flow, like that next games again, like it felt like Donovan was just like, oh, I'm in, uh, I'm back home. I'm going to just be the um, hero here. And he just didn't have it going all night. And it, it felt like that was what held them back in that moment. And there was also, you know, the Clippers game early this year. Uh, Darius just had a really rough last couple minutes. And it felt like he was trying to like overcome that when he didn't need to, cause he didn't have it going. So just kind of playing within the flow. But if I had to choose one, I'd say Donovan. 
Yeah, there's been a few games too where I feel like the bigs were doing really well towards the end of the game. And then like the last two to four minutes, they weren't involved at all. And I feel like that kind of goes to what you're saying about not going within the flow of the game. Like if Evan and Jarrett are you know, really flowing well in a certain game, like continue to go to them in those final two minutes. And sometimes I think they tend to go away from that and, you know, go away from what's really working. Yeah. And one of my pet peeves about the last couple minutes is how slow they play. Like it feels like Darius in the last like minute just tries to like chew up as much clock as possible. Like he doesn't get into the offense until like 10 seconds left in the shot clock. And it's like, this is a team that needs all 24 seconds of the shot clock. So I just kind of would like to see them play with, you don't, they don't need to play fast, but just play with more purpose, you know, getting into their sets just a little earlier. I think kind of that would help them not play that hero ball style that we've seen them when they get into trouble. And that would also help get the bigs involved. Yeah. We play like the slowest pace in the league. I feel like of basketball, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure like statistically we're like 31, yeah. maybe somewhere around mm-hmm. there towards the bottom. <laughs> yeah. It yeah is, we've it, been, we've been towards the bottom all year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is the slowest pace, but it's like, there's a difference between playing at a slope. You can play at a slope pace, but get into your sets really fast. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I'm, I'm fine when they're like, when they're like deliberate, like they're making sure that they're doing the right thing. But it's just when they're like, it's 10 seconds left and then they're like, okay, now let's do like a high pick and roll. It's like, this isn't going to work, you know? So that's, that's where, that's where I think the the biggest, that's where my main gripe is with the last couple minutes. Makes sense. Yeah. That's a good point. I think because they don't get into their sets very quickly, that's part of the reason why the bigs can seemingly disappear at the end. Because as you mentioned, if there's eight seconds on the clock and you're just now getting into a high pick and roll, there's really not much option to hit the short roll and kind of run this offense that they typically run. This is where you usually get a situation where Mitchell has the ball, the defenders maybe a half step below on the screen and he's just pulling up rather than dumping it to the bigs because, and the truth is I would rather have Mitchell shooting a contested three with four seconds on the clock than the balls in Jared Allen's hands. And there's nowhere for him to go with it. So it's kind of something that they need to balance and figure out. I think there's no question Mitchell is the best closer on this team. He's the guy who you want shooting the ball. It's just a matter of figuring out how to keep him involved. Because if you remember earlier in the season, and I'm thankful this hasn't continued to be a problem, but they really struggled to get the ball to Mitchell in a couple of those games. Mm-hmm. I think the Clippers game was one of them where it was like, I don't think Mitchell touched the ball in the final couple of minutes. Yeah. They just they trapped him, and it was all on Garland. And to Garland's credit, I don't think it's as simple as some people will say, oh, he's just not clutch. He has had some very good clutch moments. I think the problem is he's never been great at getting to the rim. He doesn't necessarily have the best speed in the NBA. He's very stop and go. And so when you get to the final minute of a game where everyone's legs are tired, it's not as you're not going to beat people off the dribble like you are throughout the course of the game. And now the defense is so packed. You kind of just have to settle for a jump shot. And those are really tough shots to make. I mean, you, you kind of take for granted the stuff that we've seen over the years with Kyrie and now Donovan. Like it's not a knock on Darius to say, Hey, he's maybe not the guy who's going to shoot an efficient clip on pull up threes at the end of the game. It's just, that's a really tough bar to, to hit. And yeah, I think working out, this is one of the things that they have to work out moving forward. It's going to be a growing pain and it has been better. They really struggled at the beginning of the year. I'm not as concerned with their execution as of late, but there's certainly room to improve there. So uh, this is a question that I didn't have on our rundown. So I'll start off just to mm-hmm. get it going. The Cavs have four games this month against bad teams. Uh, and someone asked, do you think JB uses this month to experiment with lineups? I would say, hopefully JB has been a little reluctant at times to play guys. Like when we talk about Sam Merrill is, is he even going to get a chance during his 10-day contract? I'm not sure. But I would hope, like, tomorrow's game against Detroit, Cavs take care of business, get up big, and you get to see Dean Wade get on the floor and really have a chance to build momentum. Danny Green, let's see what he has left in the tank. Let's try to get uh, Jetty in the lineup if he's healthy enough and, and really start to build momentum for this bench that has struggled all year. Uh, how do you guys feel about this upcoming month, entering the playoffs, home stretch, do you think JB is going to experiment or are we just kind of living with what we have? I 
feel like he's probably not going to experiment as much as people would like him to just because of the history of him not doing that very much. Um, but it is tough in certain moments when I know you're trying to narrow down what your playoff lineup is going to look like. You have a month left of basketball. Like you need to start getting into that rhythm of what you're going to be using in the playoffs. Uh, but it is hard when like someone like Dean Wade is really struggling in games and we're not putting in Jetty or Danny Green, who you just, uh, you know, got and haven't really used much yet. Uh, I, I think he could be a little bit more flexible in those moments and try to at least throw out those guys for, you know, 10 minutes in a game and see if it works. Uh, obviously you do want to continue to win and you, you want to be prioritizing that. Uh, but when things aren't working, I think he, he does need to be a little bit more flexible. Um, but at the same time, I, I understand wanting to narrow down the group that you're going to be using and that's going to carry you through the playoffs. Yeah. I think the biggest problem that the Cavs have and, it's just that they have guys that don't really fit and we can know that they don't really fit. So like Danny green and Sam Merrill are kind of wild cards, but what we've seen from Danny green, you know, he's just not moving right in. He, he tore his ACL in may. Like he's like, we're still not even a, a year away from that yet. So it's just, and the way he's looked, it's kind of hard to like, yeah. think about him as a guy for this year. Maybe, maybe he's a guy who returns and he could be really helpful next year. Cause he's at the, he's the type of player that they need, but it's just hard for this year. So it's like, I hope they give Sam, Sam Merrill some minutes. I've been, everyone knows how I feel about that. Um, but other than that, it's like, like we know who Jetty is. We know that JB doesn't really trust Jetty. I think Jetty deserves more minutes. He's someone, he provides things that I think the Cavs desperately need, but like JB is not, I mean, uh, Jetty's not an unknown right now. JB's been, a co- been, Jetty's coach for years, you know? So it's like, I don't think there's just, there's just not a whole lot of experimenting. It's like Dylan, Dylan Windler's now uh, playing in the G league. He's not, he's not going to help out this, this season, you know? So it's like, I just, there's just not a whole lot of options out there and options that they, that they do have are imperfect. So I, I guess you just hope that maybe Sam, Sam Merrill shows something and he's a really clean fit. Maybe they have another 10 gate, uh, 10 day guy that they bring in afterwards if Sam Merrill doesn't fit and you hope that he clicks, but there's just not a whole lot of options. So, you know, I feel like the bench is so streaky, like all at the same time leading up to the all-star break. I felt like they were all shooting pretty well for the most part for a couple of those games. And then once we got back, it kind of went back to some of the, the old ways and some of the bad shooting again. And it feels like we can never have it um, be like a mixed bag. It's either all or nothing when it comes to the bench scoring. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big problem they've had all year. Yeah. And it's just a lot of repeating skills too. Like Ricky Rubio and Karis Levert, they're different players, but they both need the ball in their hands. You know, Mm -hmm. Lamar, Lamar Stevens is very similar to Isaac Okoro in many ways, at least like on the, uh, on the offensive end. So it's just, you just have a lot of guys who do a lot of similar things. So that's where it's like it the problem's more so with who the guys are and what they do best not like there's no magic lineup out there that JB's going to run out that's like oh this is this is the lineup that we've been waiting for all season it's like that just doesn't exist unfortunately yeah i think we probably won't see too much experimenting if anyone is holding out for that magic lineup or uh Sam Merrill, Dylan Windler, <laughs> Jetty, any of these guys to come out of nowhere and really make a huge impact probably not going to happen. You never know. But uh, I think the more realistic thing that you have to hope for is that uh, if the Cavs do have these, you know, games against quote bad teams and they are able to run their bench a little more, you really want to start to see some confidence building for someone like Dean Wade, who maybe when he's in the course of a game, that's a competitive one that's close. He's feeling a little hesitant to shoot. You get him in a couple, you know, garbage time minutes where he's allowed to just fire away he sees some success, maybe he'll, that'll transfer into the playoffs. I think Karis LeVert, very streaky player. If you can get him rolling, entering the playoffs, that would be huge for you. Ricky Rubio, a guy who I think when you compare him to Danny Green, he looks way healthier. The movement looks fine. I'm not as concerned about his injury, but he hasn't exactly put it together on the court yet. And the more you can play him and get him rolling and back into his old ways, as close as you can get to that at least, that'll be really important. Uh, in this home stretch here. And it's on the starters and the stars to take care of business against these bad teams and give 
JB and the bench a chance to get their their feet under them because I mean really for a lot of these games the starters have been coming out flat in some of their losses and then with the bench being the way it is it's like the starters come back in and you're down 30 and now Donovan Mitchell is playing 48 minutes on a injured groin shooting the ball every time desperately trying to claw back into it so yeah you really want to see a, a little bit of some encouraging signs here down the stretch for the bench because it has been a rough month. Uh, speaking of the bench, we have a question. Do you have a long-term backup point guard for the Cavs once Ricky is gone? I think this one's tough to answer because, as we mentioned, there's really no telling who Kobe will be able to add in free agency or trades. Uh, one name that stands out to me that is probably a long shot, I would love to get Seth Curry on the team. I don't mm. know how people feel about the Curry family, but Seth would be a dream fit as a backup guard. That's probably a pipe dream that won't happen. Uh, but I actually think uh, Neto is someone who the Cavs could end up relying on long-term. He's only 30, if I recall correctly, and he's a great backup. He's been very underrated this season, and he could be the backup point guard as soon as this season if Ricky doesn't manage to get his himself going again. So how do you guys feel about the backup point guard position? Yeah, Neto was going to be one of my answers just because I feel like there is some development there can, that can still happen. And I think what he has provided has been promising in general for the team. Um, I think they will continue with kind of that veteran backup. Like I know last year, once Ricky went out, they tried Rondo. I feel like that type of guy is what they're going to keep going back to for now because they also, you know, can't spend a ton of money on it. Probably uh, just as we, you know, know, as the years come up, there's going to be some big contracts that they're going to need to, to pay for. Um, so I think just that, that veteran, type presence would be good but I, I really would like I think Neto would be a, a nice fit if he continues to progress I was shocked to learn that Neto's only 30 yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's like way older um but yeah like backup point guard it's kind of like it's kind of like you know backup quarterback in a way it's like a lot of times it's just a journeyman that you know he's available and I think that's kind of who the Cavs are going to be going for because, you know, when you're like a younger team, you can kind of experiment with some different guys, but like they need people who can give good minutes. So they're probably going to rely more on vets. I mean, I know some people really want Sharif Cooper to be that guy, to turn into that guy. Um, he's very skilled. I don't know if uh, he, I don't know if he fits what the Cavs need just because he's more of like a score first guy, um, but he is really skilled and, you know, maybe, maybe somebody who could next year, you know, make the team and kind of get some minutes there. But yeah, I would probably lean veteran though. So moving into our last question here, uh, whoever wants to tackle this one, I'm paraphrasing the question a little bit because uh, I think tempers have been flaring with this discussion recently, but why has this season been so frustrating for fans despite the team's success? It's been the popular question, hasn't it? Like the the frustration of the fan base, uh, even though it's like a young, fun, enjoyable team. I think it all comes back to expectations. Uh, and I think maybe a lot of people jumped the gun this offseason when we made the trade for Donovan Mitchell on what they were expecting from this team to do. Like the other top three teams in the East have an average starting lineup age of between 28 and 30, our start starting lineups average age is 23. So we are significantly earlier in the process of team building compared to a lot of those teams. And I think sometimes we feel like we are the only team and forget uh, what other teams are doing. Like for example, Boston was about to blow everything up last year, like midway through the season when everything wasn't going well. And then they obviously, you know, made their run to the finals and that changed things for them. But that was after years of them trying to figure out what was going to work. Was Tatum and Brown going to be able to be a thing? Uh, and it took a process to get where they are now. Giannis wasn't always the dominant player that he was now. There were a lot of questions about him early in his career and the way they have built that team around him didn't always exist. Uh, and the seven. 76ers are, you know, getting close to being at maybe even the end of this current era if they aren't able to make a run this year just based on the expectations around them. Uh, so I think people 
want it to be quicker because they're so excited when you sign an all-star like Donovan Mitchell. And that's obviously great. And it's great to have, you know, all of these young fun players, uh, but that doesn't mean the success comes with that immediately. Sometimes it does take time to build that. Uh, even when, you know, you have the talent there, the, the actual winning doesn't always come right away. Yeah. I, Oh, you go. Okay. I just wanted to make a point about uh, what you're saying there because the Cavs are so far ahead of schedule in terms of the rebuild. I feel like people take that for granted. Uh, when you look at kind of the top teams in the league this year, the Nuggets with Jokic, how long did it really take them to figure that out and get to where they are now? The Suns, people forget, were having an absolutely horrible year entering the bubble. And then they mm-hmm. go, I think, 8-0 and in the bubble and things kind of just magic magically turn around to become this title contender the next year. The Warriors took a few years to get over the hump and actually become a contender. Uh, I, you mentioned the Bucks with Giannis. People forget just a few years ago they were getting swept in the playoffs, and it just didn't – It felt like they hit uh, kind of this moment in their path where, like, they were leveling out and people were questioning if they could improve anymore. The Celtics were thinking of blowing it up just as recently as last year. So the Cavs are really in this position where it's tough because you can see how talented they are and you want them to be competing for a title and they're so far ahead of schedule, but you have to keep in mind that they're such a young team and it could be another two or three years before they really get over that hump. Yeah, I think so. I think this is kind of a, like I kind of get both sides of this. So I get why it's frustrating. It's frustrating because this team is so good. This team is better than I think many people expected. Like I, I know people expected a lot after the Mitchell trade, but just how well Mitchell and Garland have fit has been, it couldn't have gone any better. Like you just look at other pairings around the league, you know, even like Kyrie and Luca, they're one in five since bringing in Kyrie. So it's hard to fit all-star level guys together. And they're just such a seamless fit. And really besides that, early West coast trip that we, I think we like alluded to two or three times Uh, besides that they've just gelled perfectly. And, you know, the bigs, they, they, they fit perfectly with the bigs. It's just, they need shooting and it's really obvious and everyone knows it. And that's why it's frustrating. Cause it's like, there's this one glaring issue. And if this one glaring issue didn't exist, we would be a title contender. So that's, that's why it's frustrating. And I think it's, it's also frustrating because you need time in the NBA together. And I think more of what that time, like you need that time to kind of build around that core. Cause like, that's what Milwaukee has really done. You know, like they built around the core, but it's also at the same time, we know how fragile these things are in the NBA. It's like, you mentioned the Sixers and they could be on the tail end of their run. Like their best chance was in 2019. And that was in the very beginning of like, Oh, we, you know, Joel Embiid's just coming on the scene. So is Ben Simmons. And then they get Jimmy Butler. And then they were never, for a variety of reasons, they were never able to really be that good of a team again. Like maybe this is the year for them. But it's just, you never really know how these things are going to work. Like you'd like to be like the Bucks or like the, the Warriors. But there's so many more examples of teams that can't keep it all together and stuff. So it just feels like, when you have a chance, you want to capitalize on it. And I think I think everyone within the organization knows that like it's not title or bust this year. But when you fit this good together, you just never know when that's all gonna go apart. So that's so I, I definitely understand why people mm-hmm. get frustrated. And also, uh this fan base, I'm I'm 30 years old now. Uh every time there's been a good team. Uh, LeBron was on it and you always felt that hey if we have LeBron we have the best player we have a chance to win no matter what even if the lineups at the team kind of sucks around him you just know hey we have LeBron uh this team doesn't have that so you just there's no like well we have a a puncher's chance and I think that's a little frustrating too like you got to be winning on the margins and they're just not so yeah It's wild to think that we just knew we were going to make the finals every year for like a long period of time. Like that is, that's not normal. And I feel like we got very uh, spoiled by that because it doesn't come along very often. 
Yeah, that's a luxury when you're having like a horrible January and February in the regular yeah, season. But you're like, it doesn't matter. We could be the fourth seed. LeBron's taking us to the finals. We'll yeah. be fine. We just got to worry about the Warriors. That was it during that yeah. time. He knew uh, exactly when to turn it on. It was like, okay, yeah. as we start to edge closer to playoffs, now we're going to start playing our best basketball. Mm-hmm. And, and like with this team, you can't say that because you're you're like, are, do they have a switch in them? I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I think the answer is uh, no. They don't have the switch in that <laughs> to that to um that degree. Uh, but they do. But they play so well together, though. So that's like that's the thing. It's like, and that's and that's what's most encouraging, but also what's most frustrating. Because if if the four guys together didn't fit so well together, like if they fit okay, but not like this well. Like if they were like five or six games over five hundred, but you could kind of see a path where they can improve. Then it's like okay, like this is maybe even like a little more exciting, but because you see them like right away, you're like, this team fits so well. Donovan Mitchell is the perfect guy for this team. And that's where it's like, it's almost, they're like a victim of their own success in a way. Yeah. The challenge for this team will definitely be keeping everything together as much as they need to build around the core. It's also, especially in the modern NBA, keeping four stars together is, is always going to be a challenge and you never know what could happen. Someone could be frustrated for whatever reason and force a trade at any point. Uh, and to your point that you were mentioning earlier, I know some people are maybe a little frustrated by the fact that this is going to be a long process and we're not, it's not championship or bust this season, but at the same time, it is important to remember that just a few months ago, they made a move to trade for Donovan Mitchell, who is a superstar caliber player in the middle of his prime. So it's not like this front office is being too complacent. I mean, that move to make Mitchell is a very big move to try and push your timeline forward. So I understand the frustration. It's a very exciting time to be a Cavs fan. And just to defend myself, because I know I get called overly optimistic on Twitter and like I'm shilling for the team. I've been very upfront that I don't think this team is going to win a championship this year. I was picking them to win 48 games, which it seems like they're going to beat. So I might be a little overly optimistic and defend the team, but I'm also very clear with how far this team can go this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm always uh, called overly optimistic as well with all of our sports teams, honestly. People always tell me I'm being paid by the teams too, and I'm like, I would yeah. love for them to pay money my way. Like, go ahead, go for it. Um, but it, it is tough to manage the the combination of having those expectations, but also wanting to stay positive because it is still fun. You know, like the process and the journey going through it all is supposed to be fun and enjoyable. It's not just, you know, the the end goal is to win a championship, but if you're only happy in those situations, it's probably going to be pretty miserable to watch every season. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, So I actually have one more bonus question for Abby, because I know you're a Swifty. Can you pick one Taylor Swift song to summarize the Cavs season? Oh, that's so funny because I'm literally wearing a Taylor's version <laughs> crew neck right now um, in this, this situation. So that's perfect. Um, to pick one song, oh, it's so hard. I mean, I, I could go like really basic and be like a love story because I feel like it's just like this team is like so pure in a lot of ways. Um, and that would be the route I would go. But I don't know. There's so there's so many songs out there. It's really hard to narrow it down. <laughs> It's all right. I put you on the spot. Jackson, do you have a Taylor Swift song to share with us? Uh, I do like Taylor Swift, um, but okay. I don't, I'm not like, yeah. I would not consider myself a Swift team. <laughs> like, you That's know, okay. <laughs> when her like album comes out, it's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to like the whole thing, but I'm not like, I'm not pouring over it and like, oh, this is what this line means. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. like that deep. So I can't sorry, pull anything out. I'm sorry. It's all right. I came prepared. I have one. It's oh, you wow. belong with me forever. Yeah. Mobley belongs in Cleveland for the rest of his career. Hopefully like we're praying for it, but uh, this was a great episode guys. Thank you, Abby, for coming on yep. Jackson. As always, uh, it was a great episode and go Cavs. I agree. Go Cavs.